Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. A powerful communication in the world that has been tested through time is the communication of words, writings, and even literatures. Books and writings have changed and influenced societies, government, and individuals. I think about, as we um, ponder about the history of mankind, there have been different literatures or writings or books that have impacted society and communities and also even a country uh, and even the world. We think about a book called Origin of Species by Charles Darwin, how that book has impacted this world. We now have the theory of evolution, a theory that strongly advocates atheism and is taught in our schools everywhere in America. Because of this man, Charles Darwin, writing a book called The Origin of Species. That thought of, hey, maybe we have somewhat come from a different creature or maybe different uh, uh, type of species. That idea came forth with supporting the, uh, supporting the idea of atheism. We have a book called Mein Kampf, which is called My Struggle. Adolf Hitler rose to power in German government who gave us a great holocaust. Now, I'm sure in every way there are people who oppose this book, but through this book he was somewhat in every way presented to the world, presented to the German society. And during that time of uh, 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 depression and during that time of uh, uh, desperation, people were looking for answer. And, and uh, of course, Adolf Hitler uh, 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 knowingly uh, wanted to give this book so that people could follow his leadership. Because of a book called Koran, now we have the radicalized Muslims called ISIS and Al-Qaeda, justifying their violent and terror around the world. And uh, as we can see, you know, uh, as we think about different books that we could consider today, there are many writings and many literatures that have impacted many people. They have followed the wrong, wrong ideas or maybe the wrong truth, and they have in every way declared themselves to be atheists or maybe uh, uh, fascists or maybe a radical. And uh, I think on the lighter side of note of this, uh, writings and different books have somewhat impacted society in a good way, too. Uh, Because of a writing called the Declaration of Independence, U.S. government was found, and and it was free from the tyranny of a foreign king. And, And we have this wonderful country today because of this piece of writing that was written by men in America around 200 years ago. And because of a document called Emancipation Proclamation, the slaves in America was declared free during the Civil War. And uh, we could think about the civil rights movement and all those things, but this in every way started uh, uh, to uh, give freedom and to give rise to those people who were in bondage and uh, in America. And so throughout history... And uh, uh, writings, literatures, and books, and documents have changed the fabric of society and even individual man and individual woman. So with this in mind, we must think of who is the originator of documents or writings and books, even words. 
and uh, who is the originator of communication. As Christians, we must conclude that our God is the originator. First, we must consider the person of the word. And by way of introduction, we don't have anything on the slide, but think about the person of the word, the person who communicates. The word of God says, God is the word. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as we think about society today, as we think about history of man, and, and as we have just covered just briefly of different illustrations, many societies and many nations and many people have been impacted by simple words and, and uh, simple documents and simple writings, and, and uh, we could see the power of words and power of communication. And uh, 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 in every way, we must find the originator of that, and I believe is God, who is called the Word of God. This means that expression of communication in words that we know today was present even before the time started, according to John 1.1. Because God is the Word who is eternal. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word of God is the Lord. So he is the word. He is the originator. He is the person. And as we think about, secondly, we must consider the power of the word. As we have discussed just a moment ago, books, writings, and words, and literatures have power in society and in the world. And going back to the origin of this power, we notice creation. And his words created the heaven and the earth. How many of you believe that? Amen. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were now made of things which do appear. God said, let there be light. There was light. God said, let there be a firmament. There was a firmament. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together. God said, let the earth bring forth grass. God said, let there be light in the firmament. God said, let the water bring forth abundantly the moving creature and fowls that may fly above the earth. God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature. God said, let us make man in our image. God said it, and he was created. What a great power. So the person of the word is God. The power of the word. Why does words have power? Because it originated from God Almighty, who created this whole world with simple words. The presence of the word is also God. We think that men made books and writers in literature. That's why we have it presently today. But we must believe that the presence of words was first in heaven. Not of the earthly, but in eternity. For the Bible declares in Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in where? In heaven. In Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 12. It says, And I saw the dead, and small and great, and stand before God, and God is eternal. And, and as the dead are standing before the Lord, they are in eternity. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And you see, men are not the originator of making books. God has his book up in heaven. And uh, it's the book of life, and also the word of God we have today, and also the other books that he will judge men because of their works. You see, Christ is called the author and the finisher of our faith. He is also called the 
Alpha and Omega, which is the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet, Alpha and Omega. You see, God is the originator of books and writings. He is the Word of God, and He has power in His words, and His words is settled in heaven. No wonder there is a great, unique influence as people communicate with words and writings and literatures. God has first instituted it, and in every way, mankind has followed that same example. And now there are books and writings of men. It has changed the society of men for a season. It has influenced the thinking of a generation. It has altered the course of history just for a century. But books and writings of men has its limits, though. They have not been tested through time. Now, as we think about our God, who is the originator of the Word, and uh, who is the originator of power, and who is the originator of uh, of writings and books, we see that he has his book that we could hold today, and it is called the Bible. And this Bible that we hold today cannot be compared to any writings of men. This book is from the Lord. This book has been tested through time. <coughs> Some writings of men have come and gone. Some writings of men have influenced maybe 100 years of a society, or maybe 50 years, and maybe even short, or shorter than that. <clears throat> but God's book right here that we hold today, the Word of God, the Scripture, has influenced societies and nations and people in every generation. Every people has to consider the Word of God. And he has 66 books, 39 books from B.C. era, and 27 books from the A.D. era, and has been put together into one book, and we know it as a Bi- we know it as Bible today. And throughout generation after generation, the Word of God has been written and preserved. In Psalm 12, verse 7, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, the words. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation. For how long? Forever. Someone wrote about the seven wonders of the Bible. Irrelevant to mankind. I'm sure many of you know the term seven wonders of the world. And he got that same terminology and applied it to the word of God. And uh, the unknown writer writes, the wonder of his formation, the way in which it grew is one of the mysteries of time, he says. The wonder of his unification, secondly. It is a library of 66 books, but one book, united book. Number three, the wonder of its age. It is the most ancient of all books. Number four, the wonder of its sale. It is a bestseller of all time. Number five, the wonder of its interest. It is the only book in the world read by all classes of people. Number six, the wonder of its language. It has written largely by uneducated men, yet it is the best book from a literary standpoint. Number seven, the wonder of its preservation. It is the most hated of all books, yet it, is, it continues to exist. You know, ladies and gentlemen, this book is a great wonder to man. Some people have different opinions about it, but they cannot ignore the fact that it exists. It's here with us. And we could only conclude that this is the most precious and wondrous book in the world that's been tested through time. It is known that when David Livingston began his track across Africa in 1852, he carried 73 books which gathered together weighed around 180 pounds. After he had gone 300 miles, he had to throw away some of the books because he was 
Not feasible to carry so much through the jungle. Thank God for Amazon Kindle, amen? <laughs> and now, you know, we have digital books. But David Livingston had to carry all these books. But he had to discard some as he was going through the jungle because it got so heavy. He continued throwing books away as he went further into the jungle. Eventually, his library had shrunk to one book, the Bible. This he could not throw away. You can easily discard many books in the world today, but this one book that we hold today, the Holy Bible, pricks the heart of all men to consider its authenticity. They might hate it, but in every way, they live to in every way uh, go against the Word of God and acknowledging that, hey, there is something called the Bible. They cannot ignore the fact that it exists. It's something... It's, it does something to man, whether that be an atheist or agnostic. They might not believe the Bible, but it does something to man in thinking, hey, I don't like that book. Hey, I want to go against that book. Hey, I want to prove that book to be wrong. There is a, a pricking in the heart of man. Why? Because the word of God is a sword of the spirit. It's, as much as they want to deny it, it's something, it, there's something going on in their heart as they approach this book. I heard of a story, a gay lord, uh, Kambarami, the general secretary of the Bible Society in Zimbabwe. He once tried to give a New Testament to a very aggressive man. This man did. The aggressive man in Zimbabwe insisted that he would roll the pages of the Bible and use them to make cigarettes. That's all it's good for, he says. Mr. Kambarami said, I understand that, but at least promise to read the page of the New Testament before you smoke it. The man agreed, and the two went their separate ways. Fifteen years later, the two men met at a convention in Zimbabwe. The scripture-smoking pagan had been saved and was now a full-time evangelist. He told the audience, I smoke Matthew. I smoke Mark. I smoked Luke, but when I got to John 3.16, I couldn't smoke anymore. My life was changed from that moment. You see, this book does wondrous work in the hearts of men. Only if people take the time to read it and consider it before they deny it and discard it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divine under of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and in the discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Many books have maybe changed the minds of men, the thinking of men. But this book, as we hold today, has been the only book that has changed and transformed the life and the hearts of men. And this book is relevant for us this morning. This is the most powerful book in the world. Do you believe this book could change your life? The writer of the Apostle Paul assures Timothy of the great availability, authenticity, and the power of the Scripture. So that the man of God may be built for the glory of God. What are we to consider this morning? I'd like to share with you three powerful authenticity of God's word that brings us to believe 
and apply his words in our lives. So number one, all inspired. Let's think about that. It's all inspired. Every book, every scripture, every sentence, every word, every letter, as we think about this book, has been inspired, originated from God. In verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And uh, it's a little chilly in here, and uh, I'm preaching right now. If I'm a little cold, you must be freezing. And if I could get the, maybe uh, the temperature to go up a little bit, maybe a few degrees, that'd be a great help. The word inspiration in the Greek literally means God breathe. Theo, God, nuos, meaning blow or breathe. Theo, nustos. That's what it means. And that's the uh, uh, Greek word of the word inspiration. It means God blow or God breathe. What does this mean? All scripture, all 66 books that we have in our hands is directly from God. It is God breathe. It, is, it was God spoken. And so first consider the truth. It is given. Think about that. All scripture is given, the Bible says. God gave the scripture to men. Now, many argue that men wrote it. Yes, men did write it. They did have their penmanship, we understand. But they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. The word of God specifically covers this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So men did not author this book. God did This book is given to man. We are just the recipients. We're not the authors. And those men of the Old Testament and the New Testament, they weren't authors either. And as we think about how it is given to us, recognize the fact, as we're recipients, we need to respect the authority of God's word. You see, this book is not from Moses. This book is not from Jeremiah. This book is not from the Apostle Paul. This book is from God Almighty. It is given by God. That means it has authority. Think about some of the books I just mentioned. <laughs> Think about Mein Kampf. Adolf Hitler read it, wrote it. Hey, I refuse to believe it. Why? Because he wrote it. <laughs> A man wrote it. I think about Charles Darwin. I will read it. I will consider what it says. But it has no authority. Why? Because Charles Darwin wrote it. And ladies and gentlemen, as we think about the word of God, this book is written not by men, but by God. And we need to consider its authority. This powerful authority. This is not, thus saith the man. No, it is saying, thus saith the Lord. Let us pay attention to it when the word of God is presented in our Bible studies and in our preachings and also in our devotion. Hey, you're not just reading a book of man. No, you're reading a book from God. And uh, realize this authority. You need to consider every word, every book, every sentence. It is for you given by God. So pay attention because it has great authority. So not only that, not only is it given by God, but it is divine, the inspiration of God. 
inspiration of God. This book is not of the earthly or the worldly. No, this book is divine. It is from heaven. It is from God. It is inspired by God. God breathed. It originated from the Lord directly. This book is filled with divine wisdom, divine knowledge, divine discernment, divine promises, divine history. Why? Because it's an inspiration of God. So we must go to this book to know the mind and the heart of God. You want to get to know God? Go to this book. This is a divine book. This is God breed. His thoughts, his emotions, his heart, his purpose, his plan for you is in this book. So we need to read it. We need to consider it. We need to meditate upon it. It is divine. What a wonderful book that we have today. All inspired, my friend. It has authority because it is given by God. And it is divine. And we need to recognize as we get to know God, (coughs) we owe it to this book. We owe it to this wonderful book here. So all inspired. Number two, all profitable. Number verse 16, it says, and is profitable. This book is just an ancient, is not an, I'm sorry, is not just an ancient history that has no relevance. No, this book is profitable. It is applicable. It shouldn't be just sitting in our bookshelf and gathering dust. We shouldn't just leave it in our car and just leave it throughout seven days a week and in in our vehicles and then maybe bring it out on Sunday. It's profitable for you every morning, every day, and every night. We must consider it. I think about some history books that I have read before and and I love history, and, and I read some biographies before, and, and uh, 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 I think about uh, the book uh, Up From Slavery, um, and I read that book just a couple years back, and, and I love reading that, a lot of history there, and, and how people came out of slavery, and, and think about Booker T. Washington, what a great testament, testimony he is uh, 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 for the black community to consider even today. And uh, as, we, uh, as I think about him, as I, th- as I read that book, you know, uh, I have not really gone back to it. Okay? As much as I have learned from it, as I have learned some history about it, I have not really gone to it. I haven't gone to it every single day. But this book that I hold today, I have gone to it every single day. See, some history books could be just left with history. This book is not just a history book. It's a profitable book. It applies to you every single day. It's profitable. An unknown writer once said, The book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is a traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's, uh, uh, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character, Christ's grand subject, our good is designed, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, the rule of the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayfully. It is a mind of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. You see, It applies in every aspect of your life. It is all profitable. 
That's what this writer was saying. Oh, we are not to leave it on a book uh, on a bookshelf somewhere like a relic. No, this book is profitable. How is it profitable? <coughs> Let's think about four <coughs> phrases here, according to what Apostle Paul wrote. We think about number one, what is right? He talks about doctrine, for doctrine. It is profitable for doctrine. To simply put it, doctrine are the set of beliefs. It is a declaration of truth, absolute truth, unchanging, unfaltering. Think about uh, this phrase, Christ is God. That's doctrine. That will never change. It's a set of beliefs that we have. Salvation by grace through faith, that's doctrine. And the church is the body of Christ, that's doctrine. That will never change. Christ is coming back, that's doctrine. He's literally coming back. And that will never change. It's declaring what is right and what is true. Now, in practical application, the Word of God not only gives us those doctrines that I just mentioned before, but it also gives us a doctrine of separation. That's applicable in our lives. God says, be holy, for I am holy. That's doctrine. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to recognize that cannot be played around with. That cannot be changed. That cannot be compromised. We need to live a holy life as he is holy because we have the doctrine of separation. It tells you what is right. Doctrine of love. God says we need to love one another. And uh, for God is love. And uh, God has not changed his mind concerning love. And charity edified, my friend. And uh, charity never faileth. You see, that's doctrine. It's a wonderful doctrine that we need to hold as a church. And it's applicable in our family, in our individual lives, and also our church life. I think about maybe the teaching and the doctrine of forgiveness. And uh, in every way, God has forgiven us. And he will never change that. If he has forgiven us, he has forgiven us for good. And that's a great application for us to draw. And these are some of the set of beliefs in this book that is applicable every single day of our lives. And I think about going back to the main doctrines of the Bible. We think about how God is maybe omnipotent, omnipresent, and uh, omniscience, and all those wonderful attributes of God that we hold dear today. We might be thinking, that's theology. That doesn't really apply to our lives every single day. Yes, it does. Yes, it's us. If God is omnipotent, hey, he will manifest his power in your life. If uh, God is omniscient, if he's all-knowing, he is not distant, my friend. He knows everything about your life. And uh, the Bible says very clearly, Psalmist says, uh, that uh, what is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that thou visitest him? You see, theology or the, uh, the, the doctrine of uh, omniscience is greatly applica- uh, applicable in our lives because he uh, uh, knows us and he wants to find us out. And uh, we even think about immutability that God never changes. Hey, that's good for us. Amen. The salvation that he has given around 2,000 years ago is still relevant for us today. And that we could still receive him as our personal savior because Jesus same yesterday, today, and forever. See, theology is not boring. Oh, it is exciting. Oh, think about our God and to meditate upon who he is, how he has relationship with us. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful truth. Hey, learn doctrine, my friend. And uh, read about him and know what is right. 
and uh, know uh, uh, the divine God and the eternal God who cares for you. So secondly, it also declares what is not right. It says for for reproof. (coughs) God declares truth, but God declares sin. Many do not want to be told that we're not right. And but the word of God is a sore. It will reprove. It's a mirror that gives us a true reality of who we are and what our flaws are. And uh, not only does it tell us what is right according to God's standard, but God says, hey, those are not right according to your standards. A certain missionary society, in order to gain access for a missionary to work in some of the African tribes, sent down trinkets to be bartered with the natives. Among them were a package of little hand mirrors, such as ladies use. The natives, had, the natives there had never seen their own faces except in the waters by some lake or stream. So the news of this wonderful instrument by which people could see their features was spread abroad in the community. The missionary was invited by the tribe after tribe to visit them with this hand glass. In the interior was a princess in one of the tribes who had been told that she was the most beautiful woman on earth. Of course, they did that out of royalty. When she heard of this instrument in which she might see what a beautiful creature she was, she bade the missionary to bring one of the mirrors. The truth was the princess was the least attractive woman in the tribe. She took the mirror into the hut to take a good long look at her beauty. When she held up the glass and saw what she really looked like, she lifted up a royal fish and dashed that mirror into pieces and banished the missionary that day. And made a law that nobody should look into a mirror or a glass. And as we think about that illustration, many do the same. Many are rejoicing that this is God's book. Wow, it's wonderful. It's God's book. Divine book. Inspired word of God. It is given to us. Tells us what is right. But also, we go over here and tells us what is wrong with us. And we get offended. And we walk away and we don't want to read it anymore. Or we don't want to hear preaching anymore. And, or we don't want to go to the Sunday school anymore. Oh, uh, the teacher offended me with those terms and with those words. And, and uh, how dare he quote me scriptures about, uh, 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 about some things that I've been doing. But ladies and gentlemen, How could God ever change you unless he tells you there's something wrong with you? How could God ever change me unless I admit that there's something wrong with me? See, God wants to reprove you through this book. Let him reprove you. I think about the sword of the Spirit. (laughs) I've applied this before, and I think, as we think about God's word, it's like a surgeon's knife. Cuts you, it divides you, but at the end, it tries to fix you, cure you. That's the whole point of the sword of the Spirit. It's not for you to be left to dead, left for dead. No, it's there to give you a surgery, <coughs> spiritual surgery. <coughs> it takes some reproof. Number three, <coughs> how to get it right. For correction. The word of God doesn't just rebuke, reprove, but it also wants to make us turn to be corrected. 
I've been seeing a chiropractor. He reproved me and told me my spines weren't right. You're crooked. Oh, that offended me, amen. No. I didn't know I was crooked, but he said I'm crooked. Now he's correcting me. He's just adjusting me three times a week. He's training me to do condition exercises every single day. And then, thank God, this doctor didn't just tell me what was wrong. and said, okay, bye-bye. Here's your x-ray, bye-bye. No, he is there to correct me and to adjust me. That's what God wants to do with you. He wants to correct you as you go along. He wants to heal you. He wants to guide you. Hey, this is how you correct it. You've got to repent. You've got to confess. You've got to make sure you uh, apply the word of God correctly. So number four, how to keep it right. How to keep it right for instruction and righteousness. You know, when we are corrected, we tend to go back, don't we? So the word of God gives us instruction so that we may keep it right. That's what commandments are for. It tells us how to keep it right. Repetition is key to learning. I think about my child and uh, my children, you know. uh, I have told them many times about several different things, but I have to repeat them every single day. Why? Because they soon forget. And so i got to give them instructions and and, uh, uh, repetition of learning. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to uh, repeatedly read this book and find the instructions thereof and find the right manual and uh, uh, direction so that we may be uh, uh, profitable children of God so that we may in every way bear some wonderful fruit in the days ahead. And your family needs it and your individual life needs it. Our church needs it. This whole world needs it. This book is profitable for every single person. So number three, it's all personal. It's all personal. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So it's all inspired. It's all profitable. But it's all personal too. The word of God wants to personally touch your life and my life. And this is not for another. As you read the word of God, oh, I wish my husband would read this. Oh, I wish my wife would read this. I wish my children would just do just that. Ephesians chapter 6, children, obey your uh, parents and the Lord, for this is right. I wish my pastor would read this. I'm saying the same thing too. I wish my congregation would read this. No. (laughs) No, this book is for you. Stop dodging its truth and then uh, judging others with it. That's what Pharisees did. They didn't, make it, they didn't make it personal. It wasn't about them. It was about those sinners. No, we're the sinners. You're the sinner. It's personal. He wants to get personal with you. So for the man, for the man, verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. Did you know that God wants your Christian life to be more like him? God wants your Christian life to be gaining greater height and growth. And he wants you to be complete, perfect, lacking nothing. The word of God is there to complete you. Without God's word, we're not complete. We're not a complete husband. We're not a complete father. We're not a complete mother. We're not a complete wife. We're not complete laymen, servants, and even Christians. We're not complete. 
you, do you read it every single day? Because if you don't, you're missing something every single day. You, you eat three times a week, don't you? I'm not a week, I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe you're on a diet, okay? You eat three times a day, don't you? You miss a meal? Oh, man, I got to eat a lot more on lunch. Maybe you miss lunch. Oh, I got to eat a lot more on dinner. When you miss a meal, you tend to remember. And your stomach remembers. And uh, one of the surprising things that happened when I got married was, you know, that my wife was different than me. That's a, you know, uh, wonderful thought, isn't it? Thank God I married a woman, Amen. And uh, I didn't marry a man. <laughs> I married a woman. And she's different than me. And um, uh, uh, for me, I, 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 for lunch, I could wait till maybe 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That's fine. I could just kind of skip it if I want to. Or maybe just endure it because I'm working so, you know, busy. But my wife, just she's on time. I have 8 o'clock in the morning breakfast, 12 o'clock lunch, and then 5 o'clock dinner. I say, whoa, I didn't know this was the army of Sarah. Amen. And, uh, but she has it down. She likes it like that. And, uh, you know, she's, she was somewhat scheduled in that way growing up. For me, it was a little different. I grew up with my mom. You know, she was a, a widow. And then uh, my sister would tell me she would eat at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night. And uh, I remember the first time eating 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock dinner. And uh, at 10 o'clock, I was hungry. You know, I digested everything already. And this was before I got married, when I was in the dorm in college, and, and they were having 5 o'clock dinner. I said, 5 o'clock dinner? Man, I used to eat at 8 or 9 o'clock or maybe 7 o'clock at night. So I got really hungry at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock at night, so I would heat up a burrito before I go to bed or something, you know, like those to-go burritos that you buy at the markets, you know, or maybe instant noodles or something like that. And uh, I would do that, and then my body got adjusted to it. So at 5 o'clock, around 6 o'clock, I get really hungry. So my wife changed my life, amen? Thank God for that. And uh, she cooks a good meal every single day, and, uh, and she diligently prepares it. And uh, as we think about that simple application about meals and about how we pay attention to it so, so importantly in our lives, how about your spiritual food? The Bible says, is I the sincere milk of the word? If you miss God's word, you tend to notice it. Are you spiritually hungry? Or do you just, you know what, forget it. It's okay, I don't need it for the day. Maybe I'll just catch up tomorrow. I don't think you do that with a physical food. But we sometimes do that with the spiritual food. God has diligently inspire and preserve this book throughout generation after generation. But we just kind of let it be closed and let it sit on the shelf or sit in the car, and that's all it does. You're not complete unless you have the Word of God. Number two, for the ministry. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. As it is for you, God wants to use this, use his books to reach you and to use you to reach others. Knowledge puffeth up, charity edifieth. God wants 
you to bring forth good fruit, good work, so that others may benefit, not just yourself. You might ask, I know the Bible from cover to cover, but it's not about knowledge, it's about change in your life. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Gypsy Smith told the man who said he had received no inspiration from the Bible, although he had gone through it several times. Let it go, let it go through you once, replied Smith, then you will tell a different story. Don't just go through it, but let it go through you. You know, God wants to thoroughly furnish you unto all good works. God wants to make you to be whole, to be complete, and to change your life so that you may shine the glory of God in this wicked, sinful world, so that others may consider, hey, that's a changed man, that's a changed woman. That person is getting better every single day of their lives. What has changed them? They have to point to God, and they have to point to the Word of God. Do people around you know that God's Word has changed your life? By the way, I could do ministry every single week, and I could prepare messages, I could go soul winning, and I could counsel people, I could print out bulletins, do all the paperwork at church, and, and uh, get all these things, different things ready for ministry. But if I am not being changed inwardly in, our heart, in, my, in my heart and in my life, there can be no fruit. If I am not abiding in the vine, and I'm just working outwardly, there can be no fruit. You might be a busy Christian, but are you a fruitful Christian? There is a difference. I've been considering the word fruit a lot these days. What's going to last? What's going to remain? I could be busy, but I could be just working without fruit that remains. I could have results, but it won't last. Think about your family, your children. You want to bear some wonderful fruit in their lives, too. You want God to change their life. You want God to speak to their hearts. And that can only come when you have genuinely been changed. And our children need to see our lives being changed every single day through the Word of God. Are you being changed by God's Word today? For the man, for yourself, and for the people around you. And at the end, God be glorified. God's people say, amen. This is all for God. Don't forget that. And let God change you through this book.